Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lock Talk Radio. <laughs> everyone and thank you once again for joining us on the CAC show. We are back like we are every single Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern and fortunately for us we are back and we didn't think we'd be back because we had a lot of problems with uh, a few things we'll go into a little bit later, a couple of issues that we've had to deal with. Of course I am Fringezoa. And this is when you say I'm Sarah. I'm, well, I got cut off, so I didn't know if I was going on. So my phone was going to I know. I saw, I saw your number drop, and I said, well, this could either be good or bad. She'll either call right back in, or I'll have to wait about a half hour. <laughs> At least I wasn't taking a nap. I'm sorry. That's true. I'm That's so true. Yes, she is Sarah Summers. She's a fantastic wrestler, and if anybody tells you anything differently, they're an idiot, plain and simple. And also, right now on the line with us, we have our good friend and the co-creator and writer of Gateway Runners. Everyone, please give a warm welcome once again for our good friend, Gene Hoyle. Hey, guys. How's it going? Please tell me I said your name right. (laughs) You did. You said my name exactly right. Oh, I was a little confused because I thought I was playing Sarah tonight. You you didn't tell me what was going on. (laughs) You thought you were playing. Well, you know, it, yeah, I thought it was you and you were me. I'm, I'm really confused. It's been that kind of a week. It, it, it's been that kind of a week. You know, I, I don't know if I can legally say everything I've gone through in the past few days, uh, especially with Facebook. Um, I don't want to say anything that could get me legally liable or have any kind of lawsuits or anything brought up. But I will say this. The amount of uh, red tape and garbage I've had to go through for the past few days over somebody hacking my account and then over me having to prove uh, that my name is Fringezoa. First of all, if you listen to the show and you really think, or you're on Facebook and you seriously think my name is Fringezoa, come on, get a sense of humor. It's clearly a stage name. It's clearly a show name, and it's not something that's a real name. If I wanted my real name out there, it would be out there for everybody to see. But if it was out there for everybody to see, then I would have to worry about all of the credit card fraud and all the other garbage that comes with that, social security numbers being found, things of that nature. So uh, fortunately, I have my account back on Facebook. Our pages are back up and running. Everything is good to go. Uh, unfortunately, the stress of all of it uh, landed me in the hospital for uh, an entire day, so I'm not too happy about that. But fortunately, uh, everything is good now. Uh, Gene, I'm glad to have you back with us. I, I tried contacting Aaron. I just I don't think I could get in uh, touch with him in time. Uh, but what do you have update-wise for us? You know, it, it's, been, it's been a really crazy time. It hasn't been that long since I was on your show, but a, a lot's happened. Um, I would think we were on the show just after Magic City Comic-Con. 
Um, and I ended up with a bunch of the zero issues that we had printed out to sell. And using only Facebook, we completely sold out of what was left of the print run. They're gone. Well, I have a handful left, but it's pretty, they're pretty much done. So wow. I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, it, and it wasn't a huge print run. It was like 100 copies. But, uh, you know, it's essentially paid for my Supercon table coming up in, in June now. So that's pretty cool. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time you guys were on the show, uh, didn't you say you guys were on the second or third issue uh, and you're pushing forward with that? Well, no. Um, we, we are almost finished with the full first issue. The last one, the one that we put out was a zero issue. <laughs> Pardon me. There will be four issues eventually. Um, although, again, I lie, and there could be as many as 12 as it sells, but there will be four issues in the complete story, and one will be out for Supercon in June. So it's going to be four, four issues plus the zero issue as well? Well, yeah, the zero issue essentially is uh, it's a black and white preview of the first eight pages of number one. Uh, and what we did is there was someone I was uh, someone I was kind of working with on another book, and if you flip the zero issue, the other half is an eight-page preview of their book. So, so really the zero issue that we have out is a preview of two different books. That's actually, uh, I think that, that's an interesting idea. It's something that we're planning to do with the uh, the No Gravity Studios special number two that we'll be doing in the summertime. Uh, instead of featuring the stories and the characters and everything I created, I've been, you know, trying to talk to the Hales, uh, Aaron Moore, just, you know, different people about featuring their stuff instead of mine because pretty much the entire first special is going to be all my stories. It's going to have Gallant, it's going to have Light Earth, it's going to have um, Vapor, and I don't want to have every special kind of, be centered around that. I, I think it would be great to feature other people's properties and uh, you know stories and stuff like that than to just stick with the norm. You know, it's so funny that you say that because while working on on, on the first issue of Runners with Aaron, oops, sorry, hold on one second. I was going to cough up a uh, watermelon for a second there, but I'm all right. Um, I decided <laughs> I wanted to work on other stuff while I was getting pages in from Aaron, and this is the first place I've ever mentioned this in public, but if all goes well, we will have the first issue of an anthology book out, maybe at Supercon as well, featuring a lot of other people I've been wanting to work with. That's, that's a big. Well, that's what I think is good about the. Well, I, I think that's what's good about the anthologies and you know the the specials and things that we can do as independent creators is we can you know bring in other you know properties from other people and, and give them an avenue to show things because I know several people that have told me you know I'm never going to be able to publish a book and I've said to them well why don't you just you know let us you know, put it in one of our specials and you can at least get some exposure. And I think that's, you know, something that even even though I'm new to this and I, I don't even have anything published myself, I, I get a real pleasure out of the idea of helping other people get their stuff out there. I really do. Well, that's it. And that's one of the things that probably drives you to do stuff like this show. I know when we did the Nerd Nation radio podcast for like three years, it was all about pushing indie people because we love the industry. You know, people like you and I, uh, we love this industry, which will never, ever make us millionaires, <laughs> but it'll make us happy. Yeah, I think in life you have to do what makes you happy. And if, you know, you wake up every morning and all you can think about is writing comic books and putting comic books out there, then that's what you should do. And it's just unfortunate how many people can't, you know, achieve those dreams and get things done, you know. And there's a number of reasons that it happens. There's, you know, like things like I don't know who to go to. I don't know uh, many artists. I don't know, uh, you know, about publishers, and I don't know who can print. I mean, all those answers that people have are easily found. It's just you got to kind of do the work to, to get to that point. 
And I'm a, I'm a true testament of that because I've been trying for over a year just to put out one book. I've got three different books in the works, but just getting one of them out has been a huge challenge. You know, the vapor number one, we got through Kickstarter. It was successful. Unfortunately, we've just had a lot of problems with, uh, you know, our team has had deaths in the family. We've had uh, sicknesses. Our, our letterer has moved cross-country. So, you know, that's an unfortunate side effect with uh, something that, like this that we would love to do. You know, you, you, you can't always do it as quickly and easily as you want because things stand in the way. Life comes in the way sometimes, and you kind of have to push through. And I give you and Aaron a lot of credit. You know, you guys could easily – um, you know, do one issue and then just be done and be happy with that. But it's the true uh, creators that love the industry and love what they do that are the ones that keep soldier on, even if they're not making money. Yeah, um, I mean, my my big thing is I want to make sure that Aaron keeps getting paid and I don't lose money. Uh, that's that's really my goal for this book. If I make a dime on this book, uh, I'm going to be a happy guy. But I don't see that happening. No, I, I feel you exactly because I'm in the situation right now. Again, three different books, and then you add in the special that you know we're doing. That's four different books that we've got in the works, and it, it you know the stress of it is one thing. But sitting back and going, okay, well I have to pay my team, and then once I pay my team, I'm out of money. Well, that's fine with me. I, I if I if I can make money, that's great. If I get a penny or a dollar or whatever thrown my way, that is fantastic. But that's not what I care about. What I care about is getting this work that I paid for from these fantastic, amazing artists and creative teams for them to get the exposure. The same thing with this show. I don't give two flying shits if anybody listens to this show for me because I know they're not. Nobody listens to the CAC show. Oh, i got to listen to Fringezilla this week. i got to listen to Fringezilla. Nobody cares about me, and that's fine. It's the guests that I care about, the Travis Desmonds, the Gene Hoyles, the Aaron Pierces, the Aaron Moores, the Hales. Those are the people that are the reason why I do the books, are the reason that I do the show. Sarah joining the CAC show, one of the best things that's ever happened to me because she gave me new life when I was ready to quit this. She kind of made me feel that, you know, it's not over and I have more to give and there's more people that I can help give exposure to. And to me, that's all that matters is helping other people get the avenue to show what they can do or their work when they might not other, otherwise have that avenue. You know, it's a really good feeling when you, uh, when you see someone that you've, you've talked to on your show get, get big. Um, we had an independent guy on, on, on our show a couple of years ago. And he was just putting out a new book. He finally hit hit, hit it with Image. And uh, that guy was Justin Jordan. And we had him on. Maybe issue one of Luther, Luther Strode had come out. And he had nothing else to show for it. And now the guy wrote like, was writing like six books for DC. It, it, it's amazing. It's good to see. really makes it all worthwhile. And, and, you know, that's the thing. is A lot of people get into this because they want to write, draw, whatever, their favorite characters that they grew up with or that kind of brought them into the industry. I can't tell you how many people I've, I've lost track that have said to me, oh, I've got to draw Batman before I die. It's like, well, if, if everybody got a chance to draw Batman, you know, we would never get a definitive version. That's why they go to creative teams. But you don't give up on your dream, and especially if that's what you want, I'm certainly not going to be the one to try and discourage that. I'll keep telling people, hey, push forward because you might get it one day. Me personally, I'm completely content and 100% happy with never working for Marvel, DC, or any of the big-name companies as long as I can somehow get these books out there and get the exposure for my teams. That's all that matters to me. The rest of it is just cake. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I just want to tell stories and bring people up. and, and I, want, I want Aaron to become the next big artist because, he, because someone's, on, someone's on Gateway Runners. That's what I want to happen. 
Well, and as you pointed out recently, his work just keeps getting better and better. The more he has time to, you know, focus and work on his craft, the better he gets. And he's just one of those people that just needs that chance. And he'll explode. And, and this is no disrespect to anybody that works for Marvel or DC. Please don't take it that way. I, I don't want anybody to, to you know, misconstrue what I'm about to say. But the truth is, I see a lot of creators on the independent circuit, people like Aaron Pierce. Uh, you know, artists like Matt, I hope I say this right because his name is French, uh, Matt Dubois, uh, you know, Ian Snyder. I mean, it makes me happy to see when people give them attention. And, you know, Ian Snyder's got the Broken uh, Butterfly book coming out with Raven Gregory and Autumn, uh, Autumn Ivy. And, and, you know, it, it's going to be a huge book, you know, Widow's Web. It's going to be huge. And his art is fantastic. And it makes me happy because he's a friend of mine. Now, would I love to see him work for a, a Marvel or a DC? Of course I would because it would just be more exposure for him. But, you know, then again, that's not always the best thing because, just like I said, people like me, a lot of them are content with being in the independent industry because you don't have the constant uh, editorial machine in your ear stifling what you want to do, your creative process, whether it's artistic or, you know, the writing aspect. You know, that, that can get in the way. Just like with wrestling, you know, wrestling can get in the way. And I had a conversation with Sarah earlier uh, about how, you know, there's certain wrestlers who y you almost just don't want to wrestle when you're in that profession because, they're not really about the business like they should be and like other people should be. It's been said millions of times. You know, if you're a wrestler and you're not in it to be the show stealer, the one who everybody comes to see, and you don't want to be the one that, uh, you know, blows everybody away, then what are you doing in the industry? It's the same thing with comic books. If you get into the comic book industry and all you want to do is draw for Green Lantern, well, then what are you doing? Because that's just drawing Green Lantern. I mean, the best thing for you to do is to have goals aside from that just in case it doesn't happen. Sure, you're absolutely right. And, and, and it's a big comparison with wrestling, um, because especially now with comics. The way, the way it is in Marvel and DC, a lot of the writers and artists become famous. Like, all of a sudden, Scott Schneider is bigger than God, and never was before. And you see it with wrestling, too. You see guys come up and down in the industry, and it doesn't matter how long they've been in it. Uh, they have this, this brief flash where they're, they're the shit, they're the thing. And uh, that goes away. And so you have to really enjoy just being in there. You have to. Yeah. And, and you know, there's there's perfect examples of, of that, too. You know, there's there's people who, um, you know, you could literally just think about where they were five years ago to where they're at now. And a perfect example of that is Jeff Lemire. And, you know, in this again, you know, this is no disrespect to him. I'm not really a fan of his art style. I know it's unique and it's, you know, perfectly him. But I like his writing style. And to see where he was five years ago and where he's at now and that he's one of the go-to guys for D.C. just goes to show that if you do, you know, persevere and you try hard, you know, good things can happen for you. Yeah, was it him that wrote um, Underwater Welder? Was that his book? I think it was. He's, uh, done, a, he's done a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of stuff recently. Uh, Trillium, I think, is like one of his biggest titles recently that he's done. Mm. The one book I really liked that he did uh, is when he took over on Green Arrow, because that's also going in the garbage. He really brought it back up to where it needs to be. Yeah, and you know, again, uh, nothing against, uh, you know, the artist for that series, but I'm not a fan of uh, the artist Sorrentino that uh, that drew that uh, Green Lantern, or I'm sorry, that Green Arrow arc. But the, you know, the writing was so good, it drew me in and I didn't care. And that's what I think is the mark of a great writer is that, you know, a lot of people will go, oh, well, I have to be visually stimulated and I have to see great art to be drawn into a book. Well, that's not always necessarily the truth because I've seen many times where the art in a book didn't draw me, but when I looked at the pages and read 
a little bit of the dialogue, I thought, oh, wow, this already has me engaged. Sure, it's always a story that drives me in. Art will keep me there, but the story brings me in. It's a story I care about. Well, let me ask you this, and actually, Sarah, I want to address this to you, too, because I, I'm really curious to see what your opinion is on this. CM Punk is now going to be doing some comic books. He's doing, I forget what it was, he's doing like a one-shot or something for DC, and then he's writing, I think, a miniseries for Marvel. Do you guys think that this is good for the business in terms of bringing in that outside talent that will bring in uh, the audience with him, or do you think that that's, that's not really going to happen and that there's no real audience that will transfer over? Uh, I guess, oh, Sarah, why don't you go first? I've been hogging the screen time for a while. <laughs> Me you too, right? I do that every week. I was yelling at some kids over pizza. What'd I miss? <laughs> I am so I... sorry. They're trying to order pizza on the computer, and they're not able to get it done. So I'm like, give it to me. What was the question? Okay, I am so it's, sorry. It's, it's I'm such a flake. Easy question. <laughs> it's okay. Easy question. Do you think that CM Punk coming in and writing for comic books is a good thing for the industry and will bring in – uh, you know, new readers and things like that and help the industry grow? Or do you think that this is just a case where it's going to open up more comic book people to come in and take, uh, you know, jobs away from hardworking, you know, writers? Um, I mean, that could, that could go both ways. I mean, it's definitely going to bring new people to get interested in reading comics. People that don't read comic books but watch wrestling will start reading comic books just because CM Punk wrote this comic. But then on the other side, if he's any good at it, he could take he could take you know jobs away from people that have been waiting and been doing it their whole lives. So it could be a good bad and a bad thing. <laughs> That's a great answer, Gene. How about you? <laughs> you? You know her answer actually is pretty great. Here's here's how I see it. Um, I know there have been other people from other industries that have come in and done comics in the past. Um, let me think. Um, Brad Meltzer, of course, with Identity Crisis. He was a novelist, but he hadn't done any comics. Um, it, it happens all the time. In my opinion, anything that, that brings attention to the industry potentially opens up jobs for more people. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe CM Punk will be writing Spider-Man so someone else won't be writing it, but it'll sell well enough that there might be a second Spider-Man book. I don't think that it's going to hurt. And again, the, the the industry needs as much attention as it can get. What we read, what we need are new readers and... Uh, a lot. There are there are a large number of young wrestling fans. If we can get them looking at a comic, it's all good and it's all worth it. Right. Well, you know, I kind of liken this whole thing to um, you know the, the the situation with Brock Lesnar, uh, with you know the Rock, uh, the Undertaker. These guys who in the wrestling business will come back to WWE. And you know, the whole reason I'm mentioning this is because of listening to uh, the whole CM Punk podcast and hearing him tell his side of the story. And I'm not the kind of person to go by hearsay. But I've heard many stories from many wrestlers, uh, independent wrestlers, and some of the uh, you know ones that have had some fame that I've spoken with, and they all kind of have the same attitude that you know a guy like The Rock when he walks in and you know wins the WWE title, yeah, it's great because it brings other people in. But then if you look at the buy rate, the buy rate does not reflect that. The buy rate, in fact, was worse when The Rock came back and beat CM Punk than it was the month before when he had the uh, TLC match. So. You know, just like Sarah said, it's it's a weird beast because it could go either way. I think that the issue more should be the fact that he should not be getting as much guff from, you know, the writers and the creators as he's getting because, again, you know, him coming in 
is going to bring an audience. Whether or not that audience stays is something we all have to try to do. We have to put out work that will draw them in, just like what CM Punk is doing. His name is drawing them in, so now we have to put out work that does the same thing. So I think that it's a good thing. I do think that it can be a plus. Um, I think that, unfortunately, he still has a lot of negativity attached to him because people think he just quit and went home. But that's not true. As we all know now, especially through all the legal, uh, you know, peripheral garbage that's been going on, they actually fired the man on his wedding day. Do you guys? I told that you that. I that... <laughs> and I believe you now. I do believe you. I mean, <laughs> I'll admit. I'll admit I was and a little stubborn about it, and I was really. Well, I was pissy about it, you know, because I thought he took his ball and went home. And I said the same thing for Steve Austin when he did it back in 2003. I said, when you take your ball, or 2002, I'm sorry, when you take your ball and you go home and you quit on the fans, that's no different than me being at my job, looking at my boss and saying, to hell with my kids, to hell with everybody that counts on me, I'm quitting. You know, it's like you have responsibilities. And, you know, I was raised to be, you know, one of those guys that says, hey, a man honors his contract. When you sign a contract, you honor it. But, you know, going back and looking at all the things that he went through and the fact that he almost died of a staph infection because they refused to treat him the way he needed to be treated uh, in terms of medically, um, you know, I just can't help but take his side on that. And I think that he's gotten a bad rap. And I I feel like that bad rap is going to kind of carry over to the comics. And I really hope that it doesn't. Well, my main concern is whether or not the guy can write. Um, It really bugs me when they give people writing jobs who don't have any kind of talent for it, uh, Todd McFarlane. <clears throat> but um, I, I, I want to see if the guy can write. Um, if he can, great. I mean, I'm, yeah, that's the big question. Can he actually? Can he actually pull it off? Yeah, because it, well, when they bring in people, when they bring in people like you know Kevin Smith, you can understand why because the man has written scripts for Hollywood. That at least makes sure. sense. Yeah, exactly. It's something like someone like Punk. I don't know. Can he write? If he can write, beautiful. I know that the um, one book he was a really big fan of was Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Because when he canceled that book, there's a big letter from him in the end of it. And um, that, that seemed pretty well written. And the fact that he likes a weird, offbeat book like that makes me hope that maybe he knows what he's doing. You know, you hit the nail on the head. He's He's a huge comic book fan. And, you know, so much so that his entrance... And a lot of people didn't know this. Now, I've been following Punk since the indie days, since the early 2000s when him and, uh, you know, I know a lot of people won't recognize this name, but the Marks will, uh, American Dragon. Now, the American Dragon, of course, is Daniel Bryan, or Brian Danielson is his real name. Uh, I've been following them ever since then, back when, you know, social media was so tiny that the only way you could see a lot of those matches was through videotapes. Uh, so I had a lot of videotapes and seen a lot of stuff. Always been a fan of his. But I kind of, you know, see the uh, the love for the comics. I've seen that since the beginning. He's got tattoos, of, you know, G.I. Joe and things like that and comic books all over his body. And has flat out said many times when he's doing his entrance, he says, it's clobbering time. Well, that's the thing mm-hmm. from Fantastic Four. I don't think you can get more obvious than that. Yeah, I mean, he loves comic books. You can tell by his ink. If you, I mean, if you didn't know or didn't listen to any of his specials or anything, but you can, I mean, you can tell by looking at him. But again, just like you both pointed out, can he actually write? It's a difference between liking comic books and knowing how to create them or, you know, write them. Because anybody can write a comic book, but writing a comic book that flows properly, and Gene can attest to this, one that flows properly and one that gets you lost in it has to be written in a specific way or at least a specific style so that it's an intelligently thought out 
thwarted process. If you just put a whole bunch of action into a book, you know, and it doesn't have a real flow to it, you're going to lose the reader at some point. And I now, that's a good question for you, Gene. When you're doing your writing process, do you find yourself writing different ways for, you know, different characters, or does it kind of all flow to you? Because with me, I just write the story from start to finish. Um, to me, writing, the, the characters tend to take over for me. In fact, sometimes the stories veer off from where I want them to because of the characters that I'm writing. <laughs> uh, there's there's been many occasions where uh, in in Gateway Runners I had there's a, a minor character or he was supposed to be minor his name is Marty he's basically the the, the mechanic for the team and and uh, in issue one he's not even there he shows up in issue two and as soon as he shows up he takes over the book so I find that um, I find that he'll take over he'll take over the story and he'll make me see stuff that wasn't there before so as far as pacing goes I have to watch myself because otherwise it's 10 pages of Marty telling Dick and Fart jokes. So I have to rein him in sometimes. <laughs> well, there's never anything wrong with fart jokes, and I think that's the key is that, uh, you know, writing a story and writing dialogue are two different things. When you're writing a story, it's easy to go from point A to point B, but getting that dialogue perfect to where the characters jump off the page and you can relate to them and kind of feel that they're real is completely different, and it's very taxing work. I don't care who you are. I know people like Brian Bendis like to say, oh, you know, writing dialogue comes easy to me. Well, of course it does when the man spends four hours a day at the mall listening to teenagers talk. Well, also, it's easy to write dialogue when your dialogue sucks, Brian Bendis. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. That was wrong. (laughs) Sorry, Brian. I love you. Don't hire me, please. But but Punk is actually pretty good at at writing because – his promos, like the promos he would cut on TV, that's all him. That wasn't the writing staff. That was CM Punk doing CM Punk. So he's got a creative juice in there somewhere. Whether or not it translates onto paper, you know. Yeah, pacing, pacing is tough, and hopefully he, he's read enough that he, he, he figured that out. Um, again, going back to the book that he talks about liking superior foes of Spider-Man, if you read that book, that book is superbly paced. It's like a Tarantino poem. You know, there'll be people sitting around talking for two or three pages and then boom, action beat and then stuff like that. So if he uses that as a template, I think he'll be okay. Well, you know, we're talking about – it's funny because uh, this isn't even really a segue. Uh, it kind of is. You know, we're talking about, um, you know, comic books and sometimes people will call them picks. Uh, you know, you see, what is it, pages, covers – and a lot of people call them picks. So I guess the pick I really want to talk about right now is the dick pick of Seth Rollins. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Come on. Yeah, that was a terrible segue. Well, it is. I agree. It's a terrible segue. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I do think it's something that we need to talk about because there's a lot of speculation and there were a lot of rumors going around. Uh, but from what we've been able to deduce and what we've been told, not from WWE, because I don't believe a damn thing they say, uh, but in social media, the reports that have been made are that Seth Rollins was engaged in some sort of uh, affair with an NXT, I cannot remember her name for the life of me, uh, an NXT wrestler, and I guess had made all these you know, these tweets or these messages to her about how he hates his, his fiance, uh, hates his life, this and that. Uh, but sent, you know, like all these messages to her. I guess the fiancé found out and decided to post uh, some dick pics of him, which are, I'm 
sorry. They're hilarious. Uh, they're on Twitter. They're on pretty much everywhere. I mean, I I had to really fight to not share it on Facebook because I knew it would get blocked. But it's just too damn funny to not see it. So if anybody's listening and you have not seen these dick pics, it, it, not even for a pornographic reason, but I just would recommend you see them because they're hilarious. It's probably two of the, the weirdest poses you could ever take of yourself with your schwan hanging in your hands. Uh, but again, I got to start getting on Twitter more. <laughs> well, again, uh, it was all speculation in the beginning, but it's pretty much been confirmed that it was his fiance. So the WWE is refusing to punish him over it, even though I think that if it was just about anybody else in his position, they would have been punished. But they have such big plans for him, I don't think that they're going to do it. Do you think it's right that he's kind of getting a leeway on this when just about any other wrestler would either lose his spot or Money in the Bank briefcase, which is basically a guaranteed world title? It depends on who it is. I mean, it's going to depend on who it is, whether or not they punish you or not. But, I mean, he's he's a marquee guy, and he earned his spot, I think. So, I mean, the fact that they're not punishing him is is okay by me. I don't know. I don't know if they would do the same to the, anybody else because nobody else would draw the kind of publicity that Seth Rollins is going to draw with his, his twang hanging out on the Internet. Well, he's the main, you know, I would say heel right now that they've got yeah. in the company yeah, other than Brock Lesnar. Now, Brock Lesnar's ass. He's not a heel. He's a – never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like uh, Brock Lesnar. My wife likes to call him – my wife likes to call him old cauliflower ears. Yeah. He bothers me. <laughs> what are your opinions on that, Gene? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, in this case, he didn't put those pictures out there. And the person who received them uh, wanted them or wasn't offended by them. So I say there's no punishment necessary. It's not like he leaked his own dick pic or sent it to some unknown person. You know, so what? why would you punish him? I mean, unless he sent them to Vince himself, I don't think there should be anything done about it. I mean, it's just, it's the Internet. Shit goes, shit happens. Sure. Yeah, I agree with Sarah 100%. Now there was a. Do you remember um, there was a guy in comics who pretty much got screwed because of a dick pic? Do you remember that uh, fringe? Yeah, but I can't think of the name. I've been trying to think of it for the last few minutes. It was um, there was this guy. He did some covers for DC, but for the most part, he didn't do anything for them. But what he was doing was uh, he had this web strip he did, which is like kiddie versions of the Justice League, and it was called JL Eight. And the guy's name was Yale Stewart. And uh, DC was kind of letting him do these little kitty versions, even though he was making, like, like it was not DC stuff. But then what we didn't know is for years he was sending out dick pics to all these women, and they didn't want them. So that came out, and then DC slammed the fucking door on him. That was the end of that. Well, That's another way that things are going to get you in trouble. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that much about it. Uh, but I, I think that that's something that has been happening a lot because of social media. And I can't remember the the creator's name. I think it's Rock Upchurch who used to draw uh, Rat Queens or something like that was the name of the title. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, he was a beat of, wife. Yeah, and I remember hearing about that and thinking, wow, because there was a huge, like, lynching mob on Facebook it just all over this guy talking about he's a piece of this, he's a piece of that, he's garbage, this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, 
you know, there's two sides to every story, and before, you know, people should damn them, they should at least find out what the story is. And, you know, we've obviously heard, you know, what's happened since then. Uh, from what I understand, he lost his job, but I just think that that's something that people aren't really careful with nowadays in social media. It's like you know how easy it is to get slammed over the simplest things that you do, and if you're in the public eye, you have to be aware of that. Oh, sure. You know, you know what's a great example of that? Pat Broderick, a, a great DC artist from the 80s. Uh, about two or three months ago, he made a statement that um, that he was tired of comic conventions that were focusing on cosplayers, and that 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 unleashed a shitstorm in social media, and to the point where he's now banned from a couple of Florida conventions just for that reason. Yeah, I remember seeing that, and you know, admittedly, I was one of the people that didn't like the the post specifically because it slammed cosplayers, but I do see where he's coming from, and he should have a right to say what he wants. But, again, you know, when you're in the limelight or you're in, you know, a, a position where people are going to see what you're posting all the time, you know, you've got to be careful of that stuff. It's like it would be no different than if I went on there and had, like, a completely racist tweet right as my Kickstarter starts. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to get a huge bunch of backlash, and it's going to be my own fault. Yeah, pretty much. It'd be all you. But um, even if you say something that's kind of bad, you gotta you really have to watch what you type. Yeah, you can you can really get messed up. Yeah, I, I've I've had the, the situation happen with me uh, recently where uh, you know the whole Milo Manera thing where he did the Spider Girl cover. Well, Tim Vigil, a great artist, amazing legend in our industry. Uh, you know, he's got a, a little bit of a penchant for drawing you know the, the sexually charged photos and. You know, Marvel knew that when they hired him. They knew what they were getting. They created a huge controversy, and then when it started, they didn't even back the man. They left him out in the damn blue and just basically walked away. It's like stripping somebody naked, uh, you know, in front of a bunch of Wolverines and then walking away. It's like nothing good is going to happen from that. And it went so far. And Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's even worse than you're saying, because uh, you, you say sexually charged books. Uh, the guy did pornography. And it was well known he did pornography, and Marvel still hired him to do that damn cover. So it's all on them. It's not on Milo at all. And, and this isn't the first time they've hired him. Just in the past, what three years, he did covers for Savage Wolverine and things like that. Uh, he did some X Men covers where uh, each variant cover featured a different, you know, X Men uh, female, and they were all sexually charged and all that. And I'm fine with that. I'm I'm totally cool with that. I know there's people out there that don't like it feminists, what have you, that don't want to see the over-sexualization of women, especially when it doesn't happen a lot with men. But then, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you, you can't sit there and say that men are not, you know, treated the same way because every single man that's drawn in superhero comic books has a muscular build that people like Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar would die for. Yeah, and it's uh, there's this, there's this inflow of women in the comics. And that's a good thing. It's very positive. Yeah, Sorry, you know, but, we, um, have to, we, have to, we have to cater to everybody. You know, we have to try to make sure that everybody is placated, you know, with, with, with comic books because we don't want to alienate in, anybody. But for Marvel to just sit back and kind of let him get, you know, just ass-pounded like that, it was, it was wrong. And so what I did was I shared what Tim Vigil drew, which was just an homage to the Minara cover, but it was a little bit more graphic. You know, like you could obviously see her vagina through her pants and uh, even her anus, you could see through her, her outfit. And it was his way of, you know, saying F you to Marvel. Well, I supported that because of the fact that, A, 
it's sticking it to Marvel, and B, it's you know supporting artistic free, freedom. But some people that were friends with me on Facebook did not take it that way, and started calling me, you know, I, I'm egregiously posting, and I'm doing this, and you know, I uh, I hate women, and I'm, I'm just all this garbage. So you know, it, it has me thinking: Do I even post anything anymore in, in you know social media? Yeah, of course I do. I just have to be a lot more careful because even though I didn't draw it, it still got me a lot of heat. Yeah, it's um, it's a shame. It's a shame that you have to you have to get crap for posting that. And I understand uh, from a woman's point of view. Obviously, I'm not a woman, um, but um, I, I see where they're coming from. But I don't know if that Spider Woman cover was anything we haven't seen a million times before. Does that make it okay? Maybe not. But I didn't see a problem with it, and I never thought of it as sexualized when I first saw it and it was pointed out to me. Well, there's a lot of creators that will say, uh, and specifically, like, I, I, I love Ozzy Fernandez. He's an amazing artist, but he has a really good sense for uh, this issue. And one of the things that he says all the time is that the comic book industry is built and made around fantasy. What you're reading are fictional characters for the most part, or 99.9% of the time, and, you know, you, you kind of read these books to get lost in them, lost in a new world, uh, you know, a different world, a world that's fantasticalized and sensationalized. You know, most people don't pick up a comic book because they want to read about real life. If you want to read about real life or you want to see real life, go to a reality show, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of different avenues for that. So for people to say, oh, yeah, well, these costumes aren't realistic anymore and women, you know, they don't look like that in real life, it's like, well, what does it matter? What does it matter? It's, it's for the point of the comic book. It's not like we're saying, hey, every single woman has to look like this or they're no good, because no artist I know has ever even implied anything like that. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, with the Monera thing, um, when it first popped up, I posted the picture on my Facebook page, and I said, is this offensive? Tell me what you think. I didn't post my opinion. I just asked a question. And uh, I don't know, I think you were part of that thread. I'm not sure. But it was like 200 comments strong. And the one pattern I was picking up is that my female friends who were comic readers were not at all offended by it. Now, I'm not saying my Facebook is like a, a good uh, portion of, of the entire world, but it seems to uh, it seems that my female friends didn't care as much as my male friends did about it. There were a lot of white knights out there trying to defend something that women didn't really need defended. Well, you know, my, my issue with the whole thing is I, I don't care to see – uh, you know, the female characters sexualized all the time when it's unnecessary. And I'll give you a good example of that. I've got so many covers in the works for my books right now, and almost every single one of them, I had gone to the artist and specifically said to them, I don't want you to touch anything on that page if it's sexualized. I do not want these books sexualized because that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. If it's a story that needs it, okay, but we'll do it in a classy way that will incorporate what it means for the story. Not just, hey, let's take our main character, throw her butt-ass naked on there, and maybe cover up her nipples. Like, I have no interest in that whatsoever because it detracts from the book, it detracts from the story, and, you know, sometimes I feel like it makes people take the character a little bit, you know, less seriously. But then you get to the point where, you know, people will say to you, oh, but you've got to have sexy covers if you want the book to sell. And unfortunately, that is a sad truth in this industry right now. Well, yeah, and you know what? The sexual cover will help sell books. I've done a lot of time behind the, the counter at a comic shop, and I can tell you for a fact that a cover there there's an entire line of comics out there right now that sells based on sexy covers, and that would be the whole grim fairy tale crap by Zenoscope. No offense to anyone who works over yep. at Zenoscope, but that stuff is poop. And uh, every cover is just a, you know 
it's a it's a woman bending over some impossible angle and she's dressed in a snow white costume and, and that's why they sell. I know that's why they sell because I watched it happen. And uh, you know, it's a it's a simple fact of life. If you want to be a storyteller and avoid that kind of thing, that's awesome. If you want to make money, you got to have the sexy covers. I I refuse to do that. Um, I have two. There are two main female people in runners. Um, Felicia is the least sexualized character you'll ever meet. Um, now, Gina, Gina is, see, this really sucks. Cause I have a four-issue book, and there's a big surprise in issue three, and I can't explain why, but Gina is sexualized for a reason. And it's it's, uh, it's it's a very specific reason, and it's a very important reason to the story. And once you see that, you'll understand. But I'm going to catch a lot of shit for two issues until that happens. Yeah, I, I'm going to catch the same thing for uh, an issue of Light Earth. Uh, there's a, a specific moment in the story where two characters kind of come together, uh, but the way they come together is uh, through, you know, the kind of means where, like, you're uh, trying to survive. Like, you're, you're thrown in the wilderness, and it's all about survival. Uh, so it kind of brings two characters together. So what I wanted to do was convey uh, that moment that those characters finally connect and have that on the cover, and I wanted it to be not sexualized, but I wanted it to be as intimate as possible. Well, sometimes you can't do intimacy without having a little bit of sexualization in there. Uh, so I do know that when I debut that cover, which will be very soon, I'm going to catch a lot of flack for that. I'm going to get a lot of garbage from feminists and people that don't like it, but it's probably going to be the classiest uh, you know, image that you'll ever see of that character in terms of sexualization because that character specifically I don't ever want to have sexualized. That is a very oh, strong that cover. email. Uh, which one? Oh, the yeah, one I think with you the, showed the, me the cover you're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah, the one with the four that choices. That's what you're talking yes. about. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, that's the, the one. The fourth and, choice. Uh, I don't. I see that as more um, sensual. I, I don't think it's sexualized. I think it's sensual, and there's. A, I think there's a huge difference that a lot of people online need to figure out. Um, that's not a sexualized cover. That's a sensual cover, and there's nothing wrong with that. Is this the same one yeah, you showed me, Fringe? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, when we were talking about the intimacy and, uh, you know, which which would be the better uh, cover for fans to not get upset about. Because that's the one thing I did not want, is I didn't want this to be seen as another damn trashy cover. Because it's not. It's a very important and tender moment that happens in the book. And it's not even sex. I mean, obviously sex is implied, uh, but there is no sex. There, nothing like that will even be shown in the issue. It's just specifically oh. for people to see that there's a moment where two characters connect. It's that simple. Right, no right. Sex. I'm, not, I'm not reading that crap. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not enough Joking. titties. I'm yeah. <laughs> Bring me the titties. <laughs> Somebody told that me recently, me. they said, <laughs> no, somebody, I forget who it was, but somebody recently told me, if, it, if if I'm watching something and it doesn't have at least two nipples, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to rationalize that one. <laughs> I've been watching Spartacus all week, so you have no no worries with that show right there. Lucy Lawless nipples, nipples are right. Right? Xena oh, <laughs> nipples is like the best. Yeah, see, Hard here's the thing. I don't have a problem with I, I think, that, again, there's there's a difference between sex and sexualization of, of stuff on comedy. You know, it, it, it's weird. It, I mean, we're all adults. If you want to watch a show that has sex in it, there's no problem with that. That shouldn't be a bad thing. I like sex. You know what? I'm going to say this on, on the air. I like porn. But it does, it's not the same thing when you're doing a comic 
and you draw a cover that's like a, a girl, a superhero, and she's laying there with her legs spread. I'm like, that might not be appropriate for this particular book. It's a difference. Well, I'm glad you said that, actually, because I, I can't tell you how many men I've met in my life that will just flat-out deny that they've ever watched porn or that they like porn. And, you know, it's not like – because I understand there's a lot of people that say, oh, porn's just a terrible thing and blah, blah, blah. It, it creates false, uh, you know, uh, Im- images for men, and it, it, it creates a stereotype and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Most porn is not for women, and the porn that is for women is clearly – clearly advertised as such. So it's not like it's an industry, you know, just geared towards one set of people because it's really not. Well, that's it exactly. And then, you know, the same people that are bitching about uh, women on uh, comic covers are off to the movies last weekend to see Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, you freaking hypocrites. <laughs> Excellent point. Yeah. Excellent or, point. Uh, You'll have people. Well, you'll have people that will say, "Oh, it's not porn; it's just a book." And it's like, okay, well, you know what? I I haven't read it myself, but I've had many people that have told me things that happen inside that book. And to me, I'm sorry, but that is just a porno in you know paperback form. Of course it is. But what what makes that offensive to me? What makes Fifty Shades offensive? And I've read like four pages of it because people made me. Um, that's the worst. <laughs> Gosh damn writing I've ever seen in a book. It's written like it's a uh, like a friggin' retarded ten year old writing about sex. It's so badly done, poor grammar. I just it's it, it's horrible. The sex I is better fine, not read it. Oh, dude, you don't want to read it. You, you don't. I'm I'm a grammar Nazi. You will have a heart attack then, and you will be dead. Dead. We don't want that. People call me. They call me the grammar Nazi, and I'm like, hey, I went to college for this stuff. <laughs> Learn how to speak. Who works for you? Fringe, there's your editor. Boom, you're in. You're hired. (laughs) It's like the opposite of the soup Nazis. No words for you. No words. Like that song, (laughs) have you heard heard that Weird Al song? He's making fun of the, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Robin, Robin Thicke. Oh, God, yes. Yes. Where he does the the grammar instead of, (laughs) that's like the best song ever. Love Weird Al. Weird Al's the greatest. I see him in concert a bunch of times. He's so awesome. That's what I listen to when I'm on road trips by myself. Keeps me awake. He's coming to town soon. Well, here's a, in the next couple months. Here's a question I have for you guys. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't even interrupt. Uh, uh, go ahead. I, I, I just I, when you guys are done, I have a question. I think we're done. Are we done, Sarah? I th- I think, I think we're we were done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just sorry, a mini tangent um, about Weird Al. Well, I've had this head, you know, thing going on where I've got, you know, like three or four different questions and they've been rotating. And I asked all of them but the last one, and I, I wanted to ask it before I forget. Um, now, now, the reason I bring this up is because, Gene, you mentioned that you, you spent time working in comic stores, correct? I'm sorry, say that again? You said that you have uh, spent time working in comic stores? Oh, yes. Okay, so you, you have a very good uh, – uh, I guess viewpoint because I also spent two decades working in comic book stores, and I I know that a lot of people like to say that you know the uh, the over sexualization of female characters in comics kind of started in the early 90s with you know Image and all that, but I really don't think it was Image that started it. I think it was more of the uh, Michael Turner and J. Scott Campbells themselves, like those specific guys, maybe a handful of other guys who almost every cover they did was you know a sexy female. So would you agree with that, or do you think that this is a problem that's been going on for a lot longer than that? I'd say it's been going on for a hell of a lot longer than that. Um, back to the, thir- uh, the early days of comics, the golden age of comics, um, 
the the first bunch of issues of Wonder Woman, she was tied up so much in that book. Like literally, people were tying her up every issue to the point where editorial had to say, "Listen, you got to tie her up less. <laughs> you, you can't. This is not a bondage book." Uh, and and look at uh, t- type in the Google search for Phantom Lady. Phantom Lady was around in the '30s too, and she wore an outfit that was kind of like a I don't know two two pieces of fabric barely covering her boobs. And she also had the unfortunate tendency to be tied up. And this, this was stuff that just has been around since the pulps. And it, it's not a new thing, and it's not anything that's going away. You, and you know why? Because that stuff sells. And we're in a declining industry. So anything they can do, I mean, that Spider-Roman cover might have been designed for controversy. Because you know what? Here's the thing. That cover eventually came out, and it sold as a variant for like 25 bucks. So that, that cover never went away. It's been in the industry forever, and it always that, Would you agree that Power Girl's boob window is quite possibly the most sexually charged costume uh, for that specific reason? Because, I mean, you can look at other costumes, and, yeah, they might look a little sexy, but I, I almost feel like Power Girl's was the most blatant use of over-sexualization. Would you agree with that? Uh, not only do I agree with it, I can tell you it's factual. Like, it's not even an opinion. And here's why. When um, Power Girl first showed up, it was when DC had decided to uh, reinvigorate All-Star Comics, which had been canceled in the Golden Age. Uh, in the, in the I'm going to say, damn it, maybe the 80s, 70s, they brought back All-Star Comics. That's where Power Girl first appears. All-Star Comics 58. Um, she was drawn with this little boob window. And the creator of that character, uh, the artist, Wally Wood, um, each issue made the boob window bigger just to see if he could get away with it. And finally, we end up with the big friggin' hole in her outfit that we see today, or, or she had. But yeah, that was done on purpose to see how much he could get away with. So that was intentionally sexualized. And, you know, I mean, I know a little bit about this. Uh, I, I, I kind of was really just baiting you a little bit, uh, because the, the point of bringing it up is the fact that I like to see sexy girls in comics. I do. I'm a guy. I'm not going to lie. I, I think, you know, women in general should, you know, they should have the right to feel sexy or, you know, try to, you know, feel sexy. Whether or not they look sexy to other people, I think, is immaterial. But I think every woman, just like every man, should have the right to dress and look how they want. And I think a lot of times in comic books, they kind of lose that, you know, because they just want to have a sexy girl on the cover. And I think that's what's great about comics that don't have every single female looking like a supermodel. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, the fantasy aspect is great, and, you know, we are supposed to get lost in it, but you've you got to put a little, a little bit of realism in your stuff sometimes. You know, it's like if every single female looks exactly the same, they all have perfect bodies, well, what are you going to do when you have to introduce a character who's short and chubby? You know, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to totally alienate that character and alienate anybody that will identify with that character. I just feel like today's comics need to find a better medium and a better, uh, you know, common ground, I guess. And, and, and you know what? There are some books working on that. Um, the new Miss Marvel book. Um, it's a young girl. I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's not boobed up. She, she's not in a tight costume. Um, in fact, that book's amazing for a lot of reasons, but I'll stick to the sexual ones. And, and she's a woman that's not at all sexualized. And um, it's a really good book. It's a good read. I think there's room for books like that, and there's room for books with, you know, big booby women with swords fighting people. There's there's no audience for both, and so books for both should exist. Well, do 
you think that we'll ever see a day where people can kind of just like get over the whole costume and uh, sexualization thing? I mean, is this something that we're going to be dealing with forever? Because I'll be honest with you, the thing I hate the most uh, dealing with, you know, creating comics is the fact that I have to cater to everybody to the point where sometimes I feel like I can't get my creative voice done because I'm constantly worrying that this group is going to be mad or that group is going to be mad. And it, it's frustrating because you don't want to be stifled as a creator or, you know, as a creative property. You don't want to put out something mediocre because you're, you know, afraid to, you know, worry people and ruffle feathers. Well, there, I have creative advice for you. If, if you, if, um, I mean, I'm, I'm nobody to give you advice. But uh, since you brought it up, I can give you creative advice that fixes that for all time. Fuck them. You write for yourself. <laughs> Fuck every one of them. You're writing for yourself. Write what you want to read. Freaking genius. Genius. Yep. Problem so succinctly put, too. <laughs> yeah, essentially, you write for yourself, and you do what you want. And if people get offended, fuck them. That's where that goes. Uh, you know, we could we could really just end the show on that note, really. We could. I mean, that. <laughs> you need to make that a soundbite. The next time we get into some kind of crazy argument, we just go fuck them and have him say that. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna record this and I'm gonna have that be our new intro. So it'll just come on and instead of guitar music. It'll just be Gene saying "fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> Best advice mm. ever. Write that down. I, can spell it I would have to say so. <laughs> you know what, guys? We're, uh... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, seriously, I just think that's the most important thing uh, in the creative process. Of course, you want to sell your book. So you want you want different people to like it. But at the end of the day, you can't let that hold you back. If you, if you think it's holding you back, forget it. Just ignore it. That's the next that's, that's what. Yeah. And not well, just for comics, it's all know, aspects of life. Yeah, you're never yeah, going to please everybody. No. Yeah, but I choose to please nobody. That's what <laughs> yeah, I said I with the whole wrestling with death thing, French, and everybody's like, well, they're <laughs> making you look like a chump. And I said, fuck them, I'm on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely it's seeing the good where the bad is. And, and, and that's, the, that's the thing is I think that with everything that's been going on is it's it's so easy now to, to jump on people and blast them in social media for what they're doing. And a lot of these people don't even take the time to think about all the work that goes into making a, or even not just making a comic book, but into wrestling a match. Because just like with wrestling, you know, we have to plan things out. We have to make sure that everything's going to go properly. We have to keep everybody's, uh, you know, health and concerns in order. Just like I'm not going to dump, you know, 50 pages on a guy and tell him I need these in two weeks. You know, you still, same thing with wrestling, you don't go into a match and say, hey, you do all the moves you want and I'll just lay here. You know, it doesn't work that way. But sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. You just described my sex life. <laughs> I don't. I was waiting I, for I've been married to say for 16 that. years. I don't know what. I've been married 16 years. I don't know what the phrase "sex life" means. It's when you turn on the internet and look for naughty videos. That's that's there sex you go. life. I like to joke with people and tell them that I've never had sex, but my wife was already officially inseminated four times. Nice. Yeah, my kids are proof that I've had sex at least twice. <laughs> yeah, me yeah, too. Back, at, least, at least twice. Exactly. You share with people. You're like, these two? I had to fuck to get them. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that happened. 
I am swearing so much on this show. Yeah. I feel terrible. The other thing I always say is uh, I don't blame my wife for not having sex with me because I wouldn't have sex with me either. <laughs> I think that's a good note to go out on. Uh, Gene, before we head out here, uh, why don't you plug your stuff really quick and let everybody know where they can find you and Gateway Runners. Okay. Uh, go to Facebook and look up Gateway Runners. Um, you can try me on, on Twitter at Gene Hoyle, but you'll never see me there. So, so stick to Facebook. Um, that's pretty much where we hang out. Um, we're hoping, um, no, we will have runners done by Supercon. Um, Zero's out now. I have a few copies of Zero's left. If anyone wants to jump in on that bandwagon, probably this week will be the last week you can do that. Zero will never be printed again. So, uh, you know, you have to wait for number one. So uh, that's pretty much where I am. I, I'm sitting in front of the TV a lot, but that doesn't help you. So just go on the computer, go face. <laughs> well... The, the the best part about uh, you know that zero issue, I think, is the fact that, like you say, you know, this is like your last chance to get it. So, uh, if you guys have a chance, if you're listening and you're interested in Gateway Runners, please contact Gene, contact Aaron, contact the page. Uh, make sure you get your copy before they're gone. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you guys have any parting words before we head out? <laughs> Uh, I just want to say it was nice meeting you, Sarah. Sorry, sorry, I hogged up the, uh, the the line for so much of the show and kept you down. No, I mean you guys are talking about comics, and that's that's not my thing. I've been in a comic store a couple of times, but I uh, I don't know much about them, and I I don't pretend to. I have a couple Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics running around the house, but that's only because they're Buffy, and that's that's my claim to geek fame right there is my Buffy collection. Buffy so. Love Buffy. Well, and it was uh, it was nice talking this. to you too. Thanks. Well, I will say this: uh, I'm glad that Sarah talked me into doing the show today because I honestly was not going to do it uh, with all the sickness I've been dealing with, with the Facebook drama, with my two aunts dying on the same day, and not being able to go to the funerals. Uh, yeah, it, it's been a pretty lousy uh, couple of weeks here. But uh, Sarah, I did want to thank you for being there for me and uh, helping me get through everything. You are amazing, and you are loved. Oh, thank you. It's my job. That's what I do. Well, and, and this time you get to hear you are loved without it being followed by a dick pic. Without followed by a dick pic? Yeah. You're so scared of me. Don't worry. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm not Seth Rollins. I don't I don't take nude pictures of myself. But fortunately for me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fortunately for me, uh, I would never be stupid enough to do that because nobody in the world wants to see a half-inch penis. <laughs> but I'm bumped. <laughs> well, whether or not that's accurate, it, you know, really doesn't matter. But uh, uh, the good news is, is that we will be back next week. I honestly have no idea who the guest is going to be because our original guest, I believe, canceled. So hopefully, we'll have more news. We'll be posting that to Facebook. Uh, you know, I finally have my accounts back on, so we'll be posting it on the page as well. I do want to thank everybody who joined us today. I don't know how many of you joined us because. Probably most of you didn't even think there was going to be an episode tonight, which there almost wasn't. So, again, I'd like to thank Sarah. I want to thank Gene. Gene, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, I know it was very last minute, but, again, uh, you're always a great guest. We love having you on. Uh, let us know in the future, uh, you know, if you want to come back and do some more promoting, you know, especially before the con, you know, we'll make sure to get everything out there for you. Cool. Thanks. And I don't even have to come on to promote. If you're bored and have no guests, just call me. I'll come on. I love doing this. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's good. That's good too. I, I like that that Staniel uh, invitation is open for us. <laughs> Always. All right. Well, we will see everybody next week. Have a good one, guys. Later. Bye. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.